The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Good morning, church. Welcome to our online service. And also for those of you who have made your way for the first time to this online service, it's great that you're here with us. Merry Christmas to all of you. I trust you had a special time with friends and family enjoying good food. Don't worry, diets begin next week, all right? Awesome stuff. Well, if you are new, you join us at the end of a sermon series that we've been in now for the past two months. And this series we've entitled The God You're Looking For. And really the aim has been to draw back the curtain on God's character, his identity, so that in seeing him for who he really is, we would desire him. We would realize that he is, after all, the God we've always been looking for. And so today we're going to look at a facet of God's being that sometimes is overlooked. And so if you've got your Bibles there, please turn to the very last book in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, the prophet Malachi. And once you've located it, please turn to chapter 3 of Malachi. We're just going to look at two verses, verses 6 and second, uh, 7 of this wonderful book here. This is what we read, Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. I, the Lord, do not change. This is what we're thinking about today, the God who is always the same. He does not change. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Let's pray. Father, as we conclude this series and as we go through this sermon, I pray that your spirit would enable us to understand this facet of your being. You do not change. And we would realize the implications that flow out of this glorious, spectacular reality. Lord, I pray, would you help me as I share your word? Would you help your people absorb your word? And I pray, Lord, all of us would be transformed by your living, powerful word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, as people, we have an interesting relationship with change. There are certain things we don't want to change, and yet there are other things we do want to change. We don't want our youthful complexions to change, right? We want to look young forever. We don't want our job security or financial security to change. We certainly don't want our love relationships to change for the worst. And yet, there are other things we do want to change. We want to see positive change in our kids. We want them to behave a bit better. We want to see our spouse change. We want to see change in ourselves. And certainly we want to see change in the world. We want to see less racism and less classism, less unemployment, less crime and violence. And of course, we want to see less suffering in the world. We want to see this pandemic finally removed from planet earth we we want to go back to a level of normality again we want this change we want to go overseas and see family members we want change and so we don't want certain things to change but we want other things to change and in addition to this change is thrust upon us whether we like it or not people around us are changing our bodies are changing technology is constantly changing i mean who can seriously keep up i can't fashion is changing just when i think i'm fashionable i'm already unfashionable change is un 
changing. The experts tell us that if we really want to succeed in life and flourish in life, then we need to know how to cope with change. We've got to deal with it, otherwise we're just going to be left behind. And I think there's some truth to their words, but as a Christian pastor and brother, I think my deeper conviction is that if we really want to flourish in life as Christians, then that comes about by knowing and worshipping the God who does not Change. This is what we're thinking about, the God who remains the same forever. Because you see, in the seas of change, the currents that are always fluctuating around us and even within us, the way to succeed in life is to be anchored into the bedrock of our changeless God. In our passage, God speaks up for himself, and he says in verse 6 of Malachi 3, I, the Lord, do not change. In other words, I will remain the same forever. And so in this message, this is what we're going to do. We're going to notice six things about God and his ways that do not fluctuate, that do not shift like shifting shadows. That's what James tells us in chapter one. And as we go through these six things about God and his ways that do not change, we're going to weave points of application and points of relevance throughout. And I trust you'll find these really, really helpful. And so here's the first thing about God that does not change change. Number one, his being does not change. The essence of who God is remains the same forever. You see, everything in creation is in constant flux, changing up and down, topsy-turvy. But the great creator, the great I am, our sovereign God does not change. He's, He's not like his creation in this respect. He does not change. Unlike, you know, many artistic depictions of God that have God with a big white beard or wrinkles on his face, kind of suggesting that God is getting weaker and older, those images are blasphemous. We don't find these in Scripture. God is not like this big human in heaven with wrinkles. No, God remains the same forever. Not even the incarnation, as we're going to see, change the essence of who God is, who he was for all eternity, is who he is today, and who he is today, he will always be. God remains the same forever. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that God is immovable, that God cannot be affected. No, when we pray and align ourselves with his will, with his ways, we can actually cause change in the world, which is inspiring and crazy encouraging. And we see it in scripture often that when we pray in line with the plans and the purposes and the will of our unchanging God, he brings about transformation. And so this should encourage us to pray as well and align our lives with our unchanging God. So that's the first thing that does not change about him, his being, his essence. Number two, and I love this, it's really encouraging. God's character does not change. You know, God has a truckload of qualities and they do not fluctuate. They do not alter in the slightest. When God says in our text, verse six of Malachi three, he says, I, the Lord, do not change. Then he says, so you. Here's the implication that flows out of this reality about who I am. I don't change. My character doesn't change. The descendants of Jacob, he says, are not destroyed. What God is saying, amongst other things, is that the reason why you can have hope, like you're not going to be destroyed, is because my gracious nature does not change. 
I remain merciful, I remain faithful, true to the very end. I promised Abraham, your forefather, that he would always have descendants. And this is why I have not destroyed you, because I, in my character, does not change. And of course, we can apply this to all his characteristics, not only his mercy, but all of them. For instance, was God the mighty giant of power? when he called forth the world from the womb of non-existence? Charles Spurgeon, answer, yes. And that God is still the same today. I, the Lord, do not change. I'm still this mighty giant of power. Was God the God of wisdom when he skillfully and meticulously crafted our world? Answer, yes, I, the Lord, do not change. I'm still wise today. Which means, of course, when we lack wisdom, he can give it to us because he knows every permeation of life he knows every intricate detail. And so when we don't know the way forward, we can cry out to him, as James says, and he can give us this wisdom without finding fault. Was God the God of all grace? When he took a Jewish terrorist by the name of Saul and turned him into one of the greatest evangelists of what this world has ever known, the Apostle Paul, yes! And of course, the good news is God is still the same. He's still in his prime. He hasn't changed. He's still the God of all grace. And I believe he would say, so keep praying for your prodigal son. Keep praying for your prodigal daughter. Keep praying for your colleague, your neighbor, because I have the power and the wisdom and the skill and the grace to take souls and turn them into Pauls. And so don't lose heart, I believe God would say. And so God is changeless. He's not like a Duracell battery that gets weak over time. He's not like wine that gets better over time. He's not like a chameleon that shifts and changes depending on the environment. No, God is rock solid. This is why the Bible often applies this image of rock to God, because no amount of hurricane winds can change God. The winds of fluctuation, demonic influence, ideologies of men can change the character of God. And so this is so encouraging because we're never to think that God's unable to intervene for us and save the day. No, the God, listen, the God who parted the seas for Moses and pulled down the walls for Joshua and slew the giant for David is in your corner. He's in your corner. He is your God and Father. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, you trust and treasure Jesus, then God, this almighty, changeless God, is in your corner and has the ability to show himself strong and wise and faithful and dependable for you, even in the midst of your perplexing, heart-crippling situations. And so what are you facing? What are you going through? Is it an addiction that you can't shake? God is there for you. Is it a loved one who's trapped in some circumstance? God is the same. He can bring breakthrough and deliverance. Is it a stressful situation at home or at work? You're not too sure what to do next. God is in your corner. Look to him, this changeless God who is for you. I, Jesus Christ, we read, in Hebrews chapter 13, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever, which means he is the same for you and for me. So God's character does not change. So his being doesn't change. His essence remains the same forever. His characteristics don't change in the slightest. Number three, God's plans never change. Isaiah 46 verse 11, I love this. God speaks through the prophet and he says these words, what I have planned that I will do. Hear that? What I've purposed, 
before the creation of the world, the things I've decreed, the things that I've ordained, these things I will do. And then he adds a full stop. There's no comma there. All right? No one's saying to God, oh, yeah, I'm not too sure, God. No, no, no. There's, there, there's no one um, uh, competing against God's will, challenging God's will. No, God's will is God's will. And that means it's done. His will is done. The things that he plans to do always materialize. He always accomplishes his plans, unlike us, of course. Our plans, sometimes they just never materialize. And when our plans sometimes do materialize, they don't materialize the way we thought they would. And that's because we lack foresight and we lack power. But you see, these things are never applied to God. God has perfect knowledge perfect foresight, perfect power, which means all his purposes always come to pass. It's, of course, the devil seeks to derail the plans and purposes of God, but the uncanny thing is that when he seeks to derail the plans of God, he ends up fulfilling the plans of God. We see this in Scripture a number of places, but here's just one occasion. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8. This is so encouraging talking about God's mystery, the mystery of the gospel and the salvation that he wrought through Christ. This is what we read. None of the rulers of this age understood it. That is God's plan of salvation. None of the rulers, human rulers and demonic rulers, Satan included. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. They would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Do you hear what's being said here? Satan, I believe, was rubbing his hands together gleefully with his wicked nature when, when, when they were about to crucify Jesus. This is why Satan incited the crowd to cry out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, because he thought, oh, finally the death of the Son of God, which will mean the, the downfall of the kingdom of God. And so Satan was rubbing his hands together, not knowing that through Jesus' death and resurrection, it wouldn't be the downfall of God's kingdom, but the downfall of his kingdom, Satan's kingdom of darkness. You see, because he didn't know the will of God, ultimately the plan of God, God's plan of salvation. If he, if he would have, he wouldn't have had Jesus crucified. He wouldn't have incited the crowds and so on and so forth. And so, yeah, Satan seeks to derail the plans of God, but he ends up fulfilling the plans of God, which is super, super encouraging. You know, just a couple of illustrations from my own life to bring this point home. Um, one quite serious and the other very amusing. When I was eight years old, I went to Spain for a family holiday. We would do this each year, go to a different part of this beautiful country, Spain. And a week before we were due to go on this particular holiday, my mum had this vivid, scary dream. She was lying on the beach, and nothing unusual about the beginning of the dream, because that's what poms do when they go overseas. They just lie on the beach all the time and sunbake, because, of course, there's no sun in England. And so my mum saw herself on this beach. She'd never been to this beach before. And, and then the dream took a turn for the worse because when she looked up to scan the horizon, she, she saw me, her little Louie, being dragged out by a rip and being dragged towards these rocks and almost being dashed upon these rocks. And then she woke up. It's not the time you want to wake up, right? You want to, you want to rescue your kid in the dream first before you wake up. So, so she woke up in a cold sweat and she was panicking. And so when we finally arrived at this particular location in Spain, guess what? 
it was exactly the same as my mum's dream. The same beach, the same rocks. And so my mum, because of that dream, was super vigilant. Well, about a week into the holiday, she looked up. She was reading a book or something. She looked up, and what did she see? She saw being played out before her eyes, her dream. There I was being dragged out towards these rocks. And because of that, it was like Baywatch. She was into the water. She rescued her little Louie. And here I am today. Now, question, who gave my mum that dream? My mum wasn't a Christian then, but who gave her that dream? Of course God gave her that dream. Why? So that his plan for me and for those I have been able to affect and bring the gospel to would come to fruition, that God's plan would come to pass, that, that nothing could actually alter or destroy God's plan in my life. And this is true for you as well as you walk with Jesus. Here's a second illustration. This one's very comical. You know, when I was 11 years old, I was at home and I was with my dad this time. And we were watching the TV and my dad, I think he was reading the paper or something. And this guy appeared on the screen and this caption beneath his image And I could read his name, but I couldn't read nor pronounce his profession that was in brackets. And so I said to my dad, Dad, what does this guy do? What what is that word? My dad kind of glanced up at the TV screen and he said, oh, that is theologian. He is a theologian. I was like, theologian? theologian." I said, Dad, what's that? What do theologians do? My dad said, theologians study the Bible. They teach the Bible. Now, in my 11-year-old brain that was just full of two things, soccer and food, food and soccer, I thought, theologian, they study the Bible. That must be the most boring job in all the world. I mean, fancy studying this dry, crusty book, the Bible, in order to teach others, help others understand. I was like, that must be the most boring job and profession in all the world. Aren't you glad that God's plans always come to pass? Because I believe that God, you know, was probably laughing when I was thinking those things and saying those things. He was laughing and and saying to himself, oh yeah, you wait, buddy. You're going to be the Bible nerd soon, right? You're going to be one who studies the Word of God and teaches the Word of God because, listen, my plans will always come to pass. This is what we're told, is it not? In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that God has ordained and decreed for us to walk in certain ways, to fulfill certain works. And so I ask you, do you know what God is calling you to do in particular? If not, then you need to seek him more. God, what is it in particular you want me to do? Yeah, I know generally the things that you are calling me to do, to be light and silver, but, but how? What, what, what thing or things do you want me to accomplish for you Believing that as you pray that way, God's plans and purposes for you will come to pass. And so God's plans never, ever change. Number four, God's promises never change. His promises don't change. You know, Nat and I, as you know, we've been moving and we've been putting certain things on Gumtree and Facebook Marketplace and we've been receiving, buying things as well, like a lot of things, just to refurbish our home or it's been it's been an interesting journey but you know we've put things on gumtree and people have inquired and said, yeah yeah actually i'm going to pick it up today i'm going to pick up that trampoline at 1 p.m today and so we change our plans make sure i'm at home 1 p.m arrives and guess what no one arrives no one comes to pick up the trampoline and so you send a message they get back to you oh sorry i was i was stuck at work i will be there for sure at 6 p.m or well, 6 p.m comes 
no one arrives. And then you don't hear anything back for them. They just kind of disappear. They, they, they promise, but they don't deliver. And sadly, this can be true for a lot of us. We can say things, but we don't actually follow through. But of course, this never applies to God. God's promises never bounce like dodgy checks. And we see this in Scripture in a number of places, but my favorite is Numbers 23, verse 19. Listen to this. God is not a man. Now, that's good news, right? If God was a man, there wouldn't be much hope. But God is not a man. So, he does not lie. It's very interesting that he places mankind and lying in the same category here, in the same sentence. He, God, is not a human, so he does not change his mind, right? Doesn't change his mind, his purpose, his plans. We looked at that. Has he, some rhetorical questions here, ever spoken and vowed to act? Implied answer, no. Has he, listen, ever promised and not carried it through? Implied answer, no. Why? Because Hebrews chapter 6 says it's impossible for God to lie. God always keeps his promises. He never breaks his word. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, we read this. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are what? A resounding yes, capital letters, yes in Christ. Not a maybe, not, okay, well, if you do these certain things, then yeah, they might come to pass. No, all his promises in Christ are yes. And there's a truckload of these in the Bible, in the New Testament and the Old. Here's some examples of these promises that we're to build our lives upon. We have complete pardon and acceptance in Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, we are accepted in the beloved. We have peace in the midst of severest storms. Philippians chapter 4, when we look to him, when we worship and not worry, then we experience this otherworldly, supernatural peace that guards our hearts and minds. That's a promise. What about this one? Hebrews chapter 13, God will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, we may feel that God has left us and forsaken us, but, but that's just our feelings. The reality, the, the rock-solid reality is that God cannot, he cannot break his word. He won't go against his nature of faithfulness. He's committed to us. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. What about this one? We know this one. Your mercies are new every morning. Now, aren't you glad that that's true, that this promise is true? You know, after you've stuffed up the night before, the day before, and you wake up full of guilt and shame, you don't find God saying, you know, I promise to be merciful. You know, my mercies are new every morning. You kind of sing songs about it. Well, I've decided not to be merciful today. Aren't you glad that God doesn't change? His promises don't change. So when we wake up, there's mercy, there's grace, there's forgiveness as we walk with him. And there's so many other promises as well. You know, the good news is that when we stay within, listen, the brick house of God's promises in Christ, the devil and devilish circumstances may huff and puff, but they will never blow us down because we've built our lives upon the granite rock of God's promises. But do you want to know what my fear is as a pastor and as a Christian brother? My fear is that way too many of us We don't build our lives on the promises of God. And so we're not secure in the brick house of God's promises. No, we, we as it were, have straw huts 
or, or better still, we, we, we kind of have these houses made of sticks, but then when the devil comes with his accusations, when devilish circumstances come huffing and puffing, guess what? They blow down our lives. They blow down these things that we've depended on, which are not God's promises, and we're left exposed to the demonic elements. And so, come on, let's, as it were, pound our lives like a stake into the promises of God further and further and deeper and deeper because God's promises are secure and changeless and our lives as a result when we do that will be more unflinching and secure. So that's number four, God's promises do not change. And so we've looked at positive things. God's being does not change. His character does not change. His plans do not change. His promises do not change. Now, I don't want to ruin the party, but I need to state another thing, the fifth thing that does not change about God, and it's confronting, it's sobering, and it's this. God's warnings, his threatenings, never change. One writer puts it this way, God hasn't changed. This is great news for the committed, but it's bad news for the complacent. It's good news for the committed those who treasure Jesus, but it's bad news for the complacent, those who just play church, those who just play Christianity, those who don't really, truly treasure Jesus. You see, if all of God's promises are yes for those who trust and treasure in Jesus, then equally, his warnings are yes for those who do not treasure Jesus. And we see this throughout the New Testament, but here's a summary verse, John 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. That's God's unchanging promise, and it's wonderful. But whoever rejects the Son, we read, will not see life. And it gets worse, for God's wrath remains on them. That's why they won't see life, because God's judgment will perpetually and eternally remain on them, not only in this life, but the age to come. You see, this is God's unchanging threat, God's unchanging warning. Charles Spurgeon preached it this way, and he preached it when he was 18, this sermon, which I'm going to quote a part of here. It's very sobering. When a thousand years, he says, of hell's torments shall have passed away, you will look on high, and I pray this will not be true of any of us here today. You will look on high and see written in burning letters of fire, he that doesn't believe, like truly love Jesus, shall be condemned. But Lord, you will say, I am condemned now. But still, the fiery letters will read, shall be condemned. And when a million ages have rolled away, and you are exhausted by your pains and agonies, you will again lift up your eyes and still read, shall be condemned. You know, when I read this statement last week and when I inserted it into my message, I sat back and I said to the Lord, Lord, I don't think I really believe this. Like, of, of course, biblically, theoretically, doctrinally, I, I, I believe in hell, that God's wrath will remain on people forever. But at another level, a deep heart level, I'm not sure if I do. And maybe this is true for you as well. You know, sometimes we can just have these truths at the back of our mind, but, but our lives are not being governed by these realities. This is a reality. And I think if we did believe it, we would, I think, take God more seriously. We'd really make sure that we are His. Also, we would 
swallow more of our fear and tell people about Jesus would overcome the awkwardness, forsake awkwardness, and just, just tell people about Jesus because this will be their eternity without him. And yet the promise remains that those who come to him will experience life, but his promise makes little sense without his warning. And so my question to each of us is, do you really feel this reality, that God's unchanging warning is true for those who don't truly treasure Jesus? Do you, do you feel it? You see, I think a lot of people are hoping that God has just mellowed out, you know, down through the ages over time. He's just mellowed out. In the Old Testament, you know, he, he was judging people, but, but now uh, Jesus, he's all-inclusive. You know, he just includes everyone. He doesn't discriminate. Well, no, he doesn't if you come to him on his terms. But if you keep him at arm's length, then he's going to return and it's going to be like the days of Noah. And how was it in the days of Noah? People were eating, drinking, partying, working, doing life with little reference to God. And then the flood came and destroyed them. And Jesus said, it's going to be just like this when I return. He says that in Luke chapter 17, when the Son of Man returns, it will just be like the days of Noah. And the, the flood came, he says, and they were destroyed. And when I come as the eternal son of God, not Jesus meek and mild, but the one wielding the sword of God's judgment, the one who is going to tread the winepress of God's anger and fury, then it's going to be destruction for those who do not love me and treasure me and trust me. And so my question, are you treasuring Jesus today? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not asking whether your parents treasures Jesus I'm not asking whether your friend treasures Jesus or your spouse or your partner treasures Jesus. No, do you today truly, deeply treasure Jesus? If so, awesome. You have this promise of life and, it, and, and nothing in all eternity will change this promise. It's set. But if not, then God's warning will be fulfilled in your life. You'll experience what Charles Spurgeon preached about. And this will be your eternal fixed experience. You will never, ever get out of hell. You will always read, shall be condemned. So that's the sobering reality of God's warning, which never changes. Now, I want to finish on this happy note, this joyful note. And really there is, if you are out there and you're not too sure whether you have tr uh, trusted and treasured Jesus, well, well, this last thing about God that doesn't change really is for you, and you need to take this on board fully. God's special love for his people will never change. Number six, God's special love, his unique, otherworldly, special love, his wondrous, infinite love for his church, his bride, will never die. It will never grow old. It will never be out of date. His love will never fluctuate. You know, in this sermon, we've been thinking about God's unchanging ways, his character, and all the other things that we've considered. But the remarkable reality is that even though I said God at a heart level, like his essence has not changed, the incarnation didn't change his being, the incarnation did change something about God. How so? Well, Jesus in John 4, 24 says that God is spirit. That is, for all eternity, he has existed as this pure spirit without physical parts. But you see, the Christmas story and the Christian message is about this eternal, unchanging God embracing and taking to himself flesh, bone, 
and humanity in order to rescue us. I mean, this is the mystery and the marvel and the majesty of the Christmas story. It's this unchanging God taking up residence within Mary's womb. And we must never domesticate this message, this God, this great I am, this Son of God, becoming forever the Son of Man. Why? Well, a physical universe needs a physical Redeemer. Physical people need a literal, physical saviour. And that's what we have in Jesus Christ. You see, in our text, Malachi chapter 3, and God says, I, the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not destroyed. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, is forever the eternal Son of Man. And the reason why he became that Son of Man was so that he could, on the cross, experience your destruction and my destruction. That he was put away. He was destroyed so that we could be overjoyed with God and in the presence of God for all eternity, drinking and tasting this special love forever and ever. And yet this love is only found in Jesus Christ. And so in him we have life and life to the full because we can now in him experience this undying love. This love will never ever die And I just want to conclude with Isaiah 54, verse 10. It's a wonderful passage, passage, and I want you to take it to heart. You know, this year has been difficult, and this passage here, verse, is pertinent, and it speaks about God's steadfast love, this thing that never, ever changes. Verse 10. For the mountains may move, and the hills disappear. You hear that? God's saying, even though these things are normally fixed, like mountains, they don't alter they don't change often the hills they don't disappear but sometimes they do and we've been experiencing this this year right when things have been up and down topsy-turvy uncertain unsure with the pandemic and other things that are happening in the world it's the kind of the world we're living in now things are being thrown into chaos and there's you know just um, disaster all around us but he says Even then, even when things are crazy, he says, my faithful love will remain for you. It will remain for you. This love, this steadfast love, unfailing love for you will endure and remain. And so we need to build our lives upon this granite rock of God's special love and care for us. It's stabilizing. When everything else is thrown out of alignment, crazy This is where we can find our life and security and rest. God's unchanging declaration that his unfailing love for us will remain forever. And you know, when a million ages have rolled away, we will still be tasting and enjoying the warmth of God's unchanging, undying love. Amen. How awesome is that? And so in this sermon, we've been thinking about our dependable rock whose being does not change, his character does not change, his plans, his promises do not change, his warnings are unchanging. And I I pray again, I plead with you, my friend, if, if this is you, if you're not treasuring Jesus, please do this today. Treasure him today. Don't put it off because your tomorrow is not guaranteed. You only have now. And so don't delay. Trust in Jesus now so that you may experience this special love of God. And not only now for all eternity as well. Well, there you have it, the God you're looking for, this wonderful God that we've been considering in this series, the God who's at the center of it all, 
this God who knows all things, this God who is our refuge, this God who is committed to us, this God who weeps and laughs with us, our righteous God, this unflinching, unchanging God who embraced a measure of change in Jesus in order to change the world. Let's pray. Father, it's been encouraging reflecting on your character and your being over these weeks as we've been in this series, Lord God. And there's something special about that and reassuring and centering about that because you are at the center of it all, Lord. The universe declares your glory. In other words, the universe is about you. You are the real reality. Lord, we are not at the center of the universe. And yet often, Lord God, we just think about others, ourselves, humans, and and Lord God, we don't spend time just looking and studying and reflecting on you. We've been doing that, and it's been good for our souls. And so, Lord, I pray in particular for those who have not yet crossed the line, they have not made Jesus their Savior. I just pray, Lord, all the obstacles that keep them away from him, Lord, I pray that you would remove them by your Spirit and that they would truly trust and treasure Jesus and experience all the promises that we've been thinking about in this message and over these weeks in the series. And so, Lord, I praise you, Lord God. You are the God who does not change, like shifting shadows, and so there is hope for us. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church Podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.